Razorlight are definitely one of the bands that I feel like stand up better than some of the others. Like recalling the Kooks is like a more difficult. The Kooks and the Fratellis, I feel like, are a real low point for me. Uh, Although arguably the Fratellis made the song that encapsulated it all as far as landfill indies concerned yeah. with Chelsea Dago. You don't need to know the band name, the song name, yeah, but there everyone are no knows. lyrics. Yeah. It's just that. That's as close <laughs> as the UK got to a Seven Nation Army moment of like a, <laughs> yeah. a riff that could be sung at football stadiums for 50 mm. years after. Um, it was like, I, I, I sort of feel like I neither of us have quite described the sort of, so it just to sort of very, just to kind of bring us into that era. Yeah. Like. You can play us a song. Before, before the, stro- before the strokes, mm. like, 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 like British indie was in dire straits, right? And, and it wasn't dire straits, unfortunately. No. It the, was, the joke was implied you didn't it, need to explain it. Was, it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's do that again. Um, so, you know, it's like Travis and, big, and, and people like that. I oh. mean, and, and, and so, you know. He had a Hoxton fin. He did, yeah, but, but uh, the trousers were wide. Right, right. They were very Travis. wide. Travis are trying to come back and uh, absolute radio for are shilling for them as for hard some as people they can. Never went away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, you know, I've got I've got two ears and a heart. Um, <laughs> and and then it's like and and then sort of, you know, if we fast forward a few years, yeah, sun, suddenly it's this it, it, you know, it's alternative and then it's and then you you get to a sort of Fratelli's point where it's mm. it's just ubiquitous, mm. like it. But it but it, but there's a few years might we might call them the sort of you know sort of two thousand two three four five the sort of Libertines block party Franz Ferdinand years where it it still felt quite alternative, like being yeah. indie mm. into indie music didn't feel like yeah. I guess this is our it, distinction. It wasn't everywhere between... on the high street, but I, I, I'm not sure if I, maybe I'm just saying that because that's you know sort of the thing that I would say is it struck me that that scene and like those bands and then the progressions from that in the UK stayed centered on guitar rock and on the sort of indie rock band kind of thing, whereas in the US the thing that we're not maybe talking about is that while the Strokes had a huge cultural impact, like new metal was bigger in terms of selling oh, records. Yeah. And in terms of like what people were hearing on the radio, especially in the US where mm. uh, radio stations from the early 90s onward were starting to get acquired by big conglomerates that more or less standardized the playlists everywhere. You know, a band like System of a Down, for example, will probably got heard on the radio far more than people even listened to The Strokes in 2001, mm. 2002. And similarly... Um, you and know, they've stood the test of time. I, I think about... Uh, well, yeah, I mean, uh, I think about bands like like puddle of mud or stained or i mean slipknot were bigger but like those kinds of things i know they had some crossover in the uk but like that was a big you know the sort of hangover from creed and bands like that that was actually like probably pushing more record sales in the u.s Mm. um and like a lot of the really big cultural stuff that was happening around music um like if you're talking about major label stuff, there was a lot more stuff from rap artists. There's a lot more stuff from things like, for example, Justin Timberlake. And I mean, the UK obviously had sort of like glossy pop music, but mm. I felt from afar, like what was getting pushed in music journalism and in record sales was way more sort of like what led to say Arctic Monkeys is like the sort of pinnacle of that. But like that whole 
kind of milieu and like it was different in America there so, were some but not as much so I remember I, and I want to Fred's mm. going to hopefully talk for a lot longer than me after this and I, it's important to say that Fred is not just an expert he's a protagonist in this story as, I wouldn't go that as, far. as the lead singer of a number of critically acclaimed indie bands yeah. um, you might have known him as Johnny Burrell I'm trying to remember if there was any critical yeah. critically acclaimed critically defamed I mean you know what's the difference mm. in 2004 I remember seeing the Arctic Monkeys I don't think they'd released an album but myspace was happening yeah right oh fuck yeah friends with tom and 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 it was that weird thing of i had never i had never gone to a gig where the band had not released an album or even i mean they'd maybe released a couple of singles i'd never gone to a gig and seen a whole audience singing every song back to them like and it was it was quite a small gig but it was that thing. It was. It was like, oh, what fucking hell! Like this is all. This is people are just listening to this music on MySpace, and they're mm. they're singing it back at this band, and it, you know, it changed everything. Well, there's a few things to talk about there. Kind of two threads. One is that this is in reality the early days of the internet and broadband after mm. Napster, but before, worth noting, YouTube, which didn't come out till what, 2006, yeah. I think? Yeah, um, five, six, six, yeah. And um, so, A, the internet's a big part of this story. Mm. But before we get to that, in terms of what you were saying about the British media and its eyes still on this essentially quite retro music, mm. I think it's worth noting that as far as the industry is concerned, if I think about uh, friends who work in the music industry, A&R, someone like... Imran Ahmed, who signed Vampire Weekend to Excel, British A&R, um, he was at um, Nebworth, the Oasis concert. And I'm sure he's mm. one of many British A&Rs who were coming of age during the 90s uh, and British music journalists who were essentially still, and British radio programmers, etc., still kind of caught up in a mindset. At the time, it seemed like the gap between Oasis and Blur towards Radiohead and Travis was an eternity. But in reality, we're only talking about between 96, 97, yeah. and 2001. Mm, short time, it's yeah. almost no time at all. We've had longer pandemics, you know. <laughs> so it was a relatively short time. And I think mm. it's, it's easy to, to think of The Strokes as the first band of the noughties. I'm going to put forward the theory here that we actually think of them as the final band of the 90s. Because I've heard mm. it said that... Um, the 90s, someone said that, that the 90s ended with uh, 9-11, Ascent, that like yeah, 2001, yeah, yeah. you know, that was the real turn yeah, of the century. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't, the 90s. yeah, it wasn't the Millennium Dome opening up. We still <laughs> had 2000, 2001. I mean, I was only 12 or something, 13, but I remember, from what I remember, it still felt a bit, it still had that yeah, kind I mean, of- I think about bands, I was, I turned 15 in 1999. I remember- like a perfect circle being huge. I remember mm. in the summer of 2000, right before I got my driver's license or the spring rather, that when I would ride the bus to school, I would hear Hire by Creed twice on the way to school and twice on the way home because it was all over the fucking radio. And you think about just a few years later, so much changed and the stuff that was on the radio was uh, both them, for one, pushing old Metallica, but also playing stuff like uh, System of a Down or um, not Creed, um, Stain or Corn. Or uh, you know, a, lo- a little bit of hangover from like the Limp Biscuit heyday and stuff mm. like that. Um, but yeah, I take your point that like it was more kind of the end of the '90s, and then what came after was. I'm, it's weird. I should be able to give you a really good name of like inarguably what was huge, but I can't think of. And maybe you got an answer here. 
of like an American equivalent of Arctic Monkeys in terms of a band that started like that and got so popular. Uh, I really don't have one. I mean, Spoon no. did better, but they don't sell anywhere near as many well, records. Kings of Leon kind of became yeah, that. Yeah, that's yeah, a good yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, think yeah. King, I mean, Maroon 5. Yeah. But yeah. Maroon 5, to me, their initial Maybe vibe was way band. more of a pop band. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I mm. mean, I suppose basically the, ki- the, the Killers and the Kings of Leon. The Killers. Of, no, the Killers mm. is perfect. Yeah. That's, that's the good but, example. But, even at the, but right at the beginning, when the Killers came, when the, I think I saw them on their first mm. British tour, and they were, again, they fitted into that sort of first first new wave of 21st century indie where you could see that they were clearly taking from in this case you know 80s kind of synth rock bands mm. uh, i mean as in as in a lot of the conversation was them about them being derivative of an authentic alternative music rather than them being a potentially absolutely massive stadium band, even though they were definitely going for it. I heard an anecdote that Brandon mm. Flowers that one of their uh, one of their musicians in the band, the original lineup quit because he's like, I'm tired of doing this Duran Duran shit. Yeah, and, right. uh, which <laughs> I mean, probably regrets that decision, but you know, that's how life goes. Although, you could argue that they were genuinely um, had a more cultural um, beginning or bent, whatever the word, uh, they, you know, brought up in Las Vegas. How many people can say that? Mm. You know, their parents, well, a lot of them were waitresses and waiters on the strip. Like he, he, Brandon Flowers mentions that in the book, um, uh, Meet Me in the Bathroom, when he, they talk about how the Killers and Kings of Leon ended up being bigger than the Strokes. Mm. They said, well, you know, our parents were waitresses on the strip. We we had nowhere to go back yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. worth noting, the Strokes, you know, they're essentially celebrity children. Yes. Julian mm. Casablanca's yeah. dad. Um, John Casablanca started Elite Models. Yeah. There's a very dodgy kind of like Ghislaine Maxwell adjacent documentary on. Most of them met in a mm. private school in Switzerland. Like right. it's a different vibe than if Albert your Hammond are, Jr. Yeah. was Albert Hammond Senior's son. But John, I mean, John, I mean, there's a real like tale of two Casablancas, isn't there? Because it's because it's <laughs> like John Casablancas is. I mean, essentially, um, I mean, if if. I mean, he did get sort of Weinsteined in the end, didn't he? But because w- w- even the watching deal with that this documentary, documentary that, that was, I think he made because he narrates it. He's now passed away, but it's worth watching. So it's on Netflix. It's called Casablanca's The Man Who Loved Women. It's, it's the <laughs> yeah, that's a good billing. That's, it's yeah. basically him talking over like stock footage and old photos for an hour and a half about how he started a model agency essentially to shag younger and younger women. 